Tyler. I'm Danny. And we're back with the 26th episode. You are absolutely of correct. Fried Squirms. And if this is your first episode of Fried Squirms, then we're here to talk horror movies with you. Yeah, so welcome, and uh, we hope you enjoy this genre of film. Uh, and this one, we're going to jump into the past a bit. This episode yeah. is on Witchfinder General. Or since AKA. we are based in the U.S., I guess the Conqueror Worm. Yeah, so there were, it was filmed in England, right? So this is considered a British film. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, uh, because there is a very well-known actor in this film who's from the States. There's a reason why it has an alternate name, which we'll delve into a little bit later on. But yeah, we are speaking of the same film. I think before we get into that, though, we'll give an update. Since yeah, we've been gone for see. like about a, what? Not really. Eh, we had a, a mini episode. Yeah, we put out that little mini episode. I didn't want to mention this on the mini episode because it was going to air before the episode in which I mention all this stuff. But if you listen to last week's episode, Red State Tusk, you'll know that I went and saw Kevin Smith. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was awesome. I'm uh, happy as we for mentioned you, man. on that episode, his podcasts are like the huge, one of the big motivating reasons why we have a podcast. So going and getting to see him do a, do a Q&A live was, was amazing. Most of the stories I had heard some version of before, but there was like new details here and there. That's so that was cool. really neat. At the end of it, he actually performed a wedding. Yeah, I remember you were telling me about that. I thought that was really, really cool. I got to see Rev Kev in person. A couple fans were there. With the last question, they asked if he would marry them. He's been ordained in the Universal Life Church for a few years now, and they had everything ready to go. So, yeah, yeah. He, he married them in front of us. It was it was pretty cool. So, yeah, man, then that was that was a nice uh, trip for you over the weekend. And amongst other things, there was there were some things we worked on behind the scenes, too. So uh, we weren't able to pump out the episodes like we normally do, but that's okay. It, like, so it gives us uh, a time to I say, kind of relax maybe a little bit and then kind of get our, our batteries relax. recharged for these next coming uh, episodes. Yeah, we have the next few episodes planned yeah, out. I'm really excited about uh, those. We probably are going to be doing another mini-sode, I, I think, think as right well soon. We, we have something kind of neat coming up, and I think that's how we're going to go about presenting it. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes the most sense right now to me anyway, though. I, I think that's probably our best approach. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, I know we were talking about, I mean, we're trying to catch our uh, our audience up to date on kind of what we've been doing or some things we've been hearing of or maybe seeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention real briefly was one of our very, very, very first episodes you know, we were introducing ourselves because we were starting off, and I'd made mention of the fact that there was a serial killer right. in the I area. Right, I can't remember which episode we talked about that. Yeah, on, I was like, it was one of the very, very early ones. I would wager probably one of the first three episodes. I, mm, I think it might have been later than that. You think so? I think it was the found episode. Ooh, it might have been. I think it mm. might have been the found episode. Okay, so well, well, it would have been within the that. first ten episodes for sure then. But... This particular gentleman uh, confessed to seven killings, right, uh, in and around the area, I said, where I grew up. And uh, long story short, this happened back, I think, around August, September. It's when the news kind of broke okay. in, in uh, that, that area. Okay, right, yep. Long story short, they just reached a verdict. He has received seven straight life sentences. He will also uh, serve 60 years, like that makes any difference, mm-hmm. uh, for kidnapping, sexual sh- uh, assault, and other charges. Okay. He's 46, so by the time he gets out, he'll be 
probably around Methuselah's age. Right, yeah, he's going to be... Yeah, so anyhow, long story short, I know I had mentioned that I would catch our audience up to date. So there has been a verdict reached. He is a part of his plea deal as opposed to getting uh, the death sentence. He confessed to uh, to a quadruple murder that was a cold case. Mm-hmm. Like for, I don't know, like 11, maybe plus years. There's still some sketchiness going on. I don't want to talk about it because I don't have enough details. But he confessed to those three other murders, like I said, in that that area of South Carolina. Okay. And I think one in Arizona. So, oh, okay. Uh, seven total. Wow. Yeah. So that's been wrapped up. So there's that for that particular guy. You know, and that kind of fits in with when when I was watching this movie, it reminded me of the fact that we're still getting around to hitting a lot of different things in the horror genre. Oh, yeah. And still to this date, I mean, we've we've gotten weird here and there. But most of what we've done is just people being shitty to each other. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good way of looking at the way we've gone through our film collection. Yeah. For the most part, they haven't been like supernatural threats or this no, or that. I agree. Maybe some with a little bit of supernatural influence. But not the overall theme being supernatural. And It's mostly just been people being shitty to each other. And that's that's this movie again is something yeah. I kind of noted. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of loosely based on history, too. Yeah, loosely. So let's get into the how that make us squeal. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to catch our audience. I mean, I think there was one other, there was like one or two other cool pieces of news. I thought Um, one, I can't remember what it is. One, I think is neat to mention just because you went and saw Radiohead. Yeah. What was it? Just like two months ago now, something like that. And Tom York is doing the soundtrack for the Suspiria remake. Yeah. Which is interesting. Which makes me suddenly a lot more excited for it. We had mentioned Dario Argento and several and we'll other Italians at right? some point <laughs> right but no it's just it's interesting like I said that, that he is the one chosen to do the soundtrack and I think it's going to be a very interesting mix because you know we're talking about Tom York here yeah. that has me more excited for that movie yeah I think not least, not that I was poo-pooing it I don't know that there's a there's an easy an easy reflex to you know poo-poo some of these reboots and remakes I completely and understand that, that. Oh, but we'll I just also wasn't necessarily the most excited for it. That's all. Yeah. No, I understand. I, I have a little bit of a history with that movie. But whenever we talk about that movie, when we get to it, I'll I'll divulge. But in the meantime, I'm ready to delve into this film. Yeah, let's do it. So this is Conqueror Worm, Witchfinder General, and How It Made Us Squeal. Mm. Go. How does that make you squeal? All right, so here we are in the How It Made a Squeal for Witchfinder General. I'm going to keep calling it Witchfinder General because I've actually always known it as Witchfinder General. Yeah, you know, and even uh, when we were talking about it off of our recording, that's how we refer to it as. This is our 26th film. This film came out in 1968, right? Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind because at the time, this movie was very controversial. Right, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's a bit tame. Yeah, I mean, compared to what we've done and compared to uh, other films within the genre, yeah, this is uh, this is tame, but I mean, it has its moments. And I, I'd say one of the reasons it might have been controversial is because I think based on who was in it, it might have been a little bit more in the mainstream than some of the other extreme things from then. Oh, because no, no. I mean, we would have had like like Herschel Gordon Lewis doing his splatter films and stuff back yeah. then. So we did like. We did Wizard of Gore. That was what, like sixty-five, something like that. It was around, the, I think, this time period, close to sixty-eight-ish. And that's way more gory and oh, more, yeah, way more realistically yeah. gory than I this really is. Agree, you know, but um, this is the one that was that caused controversy. Yeah, it did. And 
like I said, I, I think it would have been a little bit more in the mainstream, possibly just because of who's in it. And that's one of the main reasons we picked this movie. We f- wanted to do this as our intro, our first running into of Vincent Price for the show. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a very interesting film to introduce as a Vincent Price film, because this is one that, I mean, it's it's known but I don't think this is one that would jump out per se as a Vincent Price film, like as far as suggestions. You'd hear about like The Fly or it's yeah, it's not his thing. typical film. No, exactly. But it's, it's a, a known film in its own right. Completely agree because this is a very as far as his role in this film, Vincent Price. It's a very serious role. It's oh not yeah, campy at all. No, not at all. Um, and he's usually and that's the thing. He never really came off campy to me. No, no, no. no. But, I mean, compared to this, yeah, definitely. And he did tend to turn it on in a certain way where, yeah. I don't know what to call it other than, than campy. I guess, like I said, I'm just, just turning it on. But I mean, he was he was doing what he does. I mean, it's Vincent Price. You know and that's the thing. So let's talk about Vincent Price. We've, we've hit icons in horror, like the, the slasher realm, and like a, f- a few of these other actors and stuff, and, and directors and writers and such. If we're heading heading back a little bit more old school and people laying down some foundations, uh, I mean, I grew up and Vincent Price seemed to be everywhere in a way. And this was way past his prime. That makes sense because given the time period, depending, because I'm, you know, I'm a few years older than you. So one of the first things I remember when I think of Vincent Price is Michael Jackson's Thriller. I was going to say the same thing. So I remember when that video, you know, about when it came out and having it on vinyl. You know, back even back then, I had like a some kind of a little kids stereo system. You mm-hmm. know, where you could play little forty fives and thirty threes or whatever. And anyhow, we had Thriller, my friend Sean and I. And whenever Vincent Price got on that track, you know, and at the time I was probably like five or six, mm-hmm. scared me. You know, just because of the voice and the creepiness and the vibe he gave. So. That's the first thing I was familiar with, with Vincent Price. And then maybe later on, Edward Scissorhands, I would say. It was probably maybe the second thing I was more familiar with. See, for me, I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but Thriller would have came out in like 82. I wasn't even born until 87. But growing up, I was a gigantic Michael Jackson fan. Yeah. And I made my parents like tape every special that would come on TV and this and that. And like, even though... Even though Michael, at that point, early 90s, had already been around for a long time, in the early 90s, his fame had gotten to the point that every time he released something new, it was a big event. It was yeah. a big deal. Like the Scream video, the the black and white video. Yeah, that was huge. The, these were huge, like, pop culture events. People knew about them. And this was, like, pre-internet like internet and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. These Most things definitely. were still going viral. People, It was the thing that people were still talking about. And so to capitalize on how popular these events were, the stations that they were being shown on would almost assuredly like run a marathon of Michael Jackson stuff like all day leading up to it. They would kill it. So I basically (laughs) taped every single one of those and would rewatch them. And so the Thriller video is always going to be included in those. You know what I mean? Vincent Price was all over that. And that was that would have been my first exposure other than, uh, I feel like when I was when I was young, there was still a lot of old TV on yeah. TV. Yeah, there there was, especially uh, like Nick at Night. There was a lot of stuff on there, and, and I mean, it, and I'm not talking like it was old now. Right, right, right. I mean, it was old for then. Well, it was yeah. old reruns, 
serialized shit from the 60s, from the 70s, from this and that. Right. And, I mean, he was all over TV. Yeah, without a doubt. He, he has so many film credits in TV and film alone, it's unreal. My second exposure to him was probably as Batman's egghead. Yeah. I know we had talked about that off, off our recording as well, but uh, that's something my brother and I, growing up, spent time at our grandmother's so you know we stayed up late at night we were night owls as kids and that was one of those shows you'd catch those reruns and yeah you see vincent price's uh egghead and pretty awesome seeing these different characters that this gentleman portrays in film yeah and so i mean along with old tv there was old movies horror movie marathons and you'd see him over and over you'd see people like other celebrities doing impressions and characterizing him and stuff because he was such an iconic horror figure. Exactly. He he was this creepy presence. The voice especially is, I think, what everyone will probably remember for years and years yeah, to come. Yeah, he, he definitely has a, a memorable voice, a presence too. You know, he's a, a memorable person. Once you see him, you you recognize him without a doubt. You know who he is. As for the, the rest of the cast, most of them, I mean, uh, I think they're mostly like British character actors for the most part. Yeah, most of them were. A lot of these these actors and actresses, they started in a lot of British-oriented shows and movies. Uh, I can delve into a little bit. Before we get into any other actors, I do want to give respect to our director in this film. Okay. Michael Reeves. He, I think he had seven total directorial credits. I think he had maybe ten uh, writing credits. This being one of his last ones, if not the Oh, because he died, what, like nine months after this? Yeah, not very long. He... I think he got an offer to do a movie called The Oblong Box. Okay. And uh, because of his untimely death, I think he was 25 at the time of his death, Mm -hmm. he went to another director. So he had a very promising and budding career up to this point. Like his films were progressively getting better, Mm -hmm. you know. So if I'm not mistaken, his, his death was ruled an accidental overdose of like barbiturates and alcohol. Right. Okay. So, lethal combination. So, our listeners listening, you might want to stay away from those combinations, those cocktails. Yeah. Keep to one, you know. One or the other. Yeah. It's like, you know, stick with one thing if you're going to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, Skittles. Stick to <laughs> Skittles or M&M's. Don't mix them. <laughs> but, oh. anywho, he did such films as The Sorcerers and She Beasts, and he had some other film credits as well in the 60s. Kind of... In that time period, you know, considering he was 25 at the time of his death. But he wasn't thrilled with the fact that he had Vincent Price as his main actor. No, I know that originally the role was supposed to go to Donald Pleasance. Yeah, which is interesting, right? Because um, considering... There's there's something about that I don't want to talk about too much yet. Okay. We're going to we wait until we go it. into the we spoilers. Yeah. But I think, I think parts of that version of the script leak through. I can see that. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean by I that. I think parts of that version of the script leak through. And that leads to some of the things I kind of don't like about this movie. Well, but yeah. overall, I, by the way, I, I do really like this movie. But I, I think it's a solid film. But I know that's how it makes me squeal. By the way, it's <laughs> it's a pretty great movie, and there's a lot of reasons why this movie makes me squeal. Let's yeah. let's get through this cast and stuff because yeah. So all right, so because uh, right, there's things right I want to say about this movie, just neat little things and how I tied into like different how I found it and stuff. Yeah, but, well, that's <laughs> cool because. I didn't know about this film, honestly, up until the time we got our podcast together. So Yeah, so our director and our writer, Michael Reeves, along with Tom Baker, who is not the Tom Baker from Doctor Who, but this guy, I believe, did God, work. when I saw that name, I was like, please let it be, please uh, no, let it be, please let it that. be. I was like, ah, but it was not. Unfortunately, it was not, but kudos to him because he did work on a lot of films with Michael Reeves, uh, as did a lot of this cast. Lewis M. Howard wrote 
some additional scenes. It also worked on Planet of the Vampires, if you're familiar with that. Oh, no way. Okay, yeah. cool. Ronald Bassett was the person who wrote the novel. And because this film is called Conqueror Worm, you do have to give a little bit of credit to the fact that this to... is based off of Edgar Allan Poe's poem. However, it's not. Yeah, well, there's, this film has nothing to do with it. Let's explain. Yeah, let's. I guess let's explain this for a, a minute, metaphorically, but not at all. Yeah, the Conqueror Worm. What? It's a poem mostly about the inevitability of death. Yes, exactly. And there's a couple lines in this movie that allude to that. However, it was only released as the Conqueror Worm in the United States to what? Well, it was to capitalize on some films that was it roger corman it was corman corman and vincent price worked together in a lot of films based off of pose works yeah so as a way to target american audiences let's stick a poe poem attached to a vincent price film because that's what people are familiar with they know that he's done those those works so it was kind of a, a marketing advertising ploy scheme. yeah more realistically where it wasn't all just about well, I guess where the marketing would make more sense is, like, in England, it was Witchfinder General because it's based off of yeah. the, well, it's very loosely based off the exploits of a real guy, Matthew Hopkins, uh, a self-appointed Witchfinder General. He was never appointed by Parliament, who was, if you take the low end of both estimates, uh, I was taking a look at some of the numbers, the people he had killed for being witches, his Real. his three years of working as a witch hunter accounted for 60% of, of all of the people that were killed for being witches in like medieval England. Right, and that, that covered what, a span of about 300 years? Yeah, like yeah, something like that. Plus it's ridiculous. It, yeah, it's, it's an ungodly amount of time. For people to be doing his, this kind of nonsense. Yeah. But how much, and in his three years, yeah. he how accounted much he for 60%. For unbelievable this movie's very loosely based on it he yeah. would have been in his 20s yeah exactly um, vincent price is much older in this um one. his assistant would have been in his 30s yeah. he doesn't get killed like i think he eventually just like succumbed to illness i never believe you're right like after he retired and stuff yeah so and we'll, we'll see the, the he didn't have differences here the almost scarier part though is he didn't have as much free reign in real life they actually had to hold really shitty courts but all of these people would have been tried beforehand this depiction it obviously would have been rigged but oh, yeah. it also wouldn't have been what's what's shown in this movie yeah because we'll talk about that too which <laughs> is interesting so that gives us our writers and our director i do want to talk about this gentleman real quick his name is ian ogilvy plays richard marshall in the film the reason i bring him up because he is in all of our gentleman michael reeves films up to this point his major films that is like she beast and the sorcerers and things like that right so he's uh, he's familiar with this gentleman. really really liked him he's a good this. actor man in this film he's solid he's a solid i character. really liked him um he's got some other credits that i thought was pretty interesting and one we keep we've been coming back to lately which i think you'll find interesting he was in the adventures of briscoe county jr <laughs> so keep that in mind he was in the film Death Becomes Her, and uh, he was a part of like Wuthering Heights, and I like, just mentioned The Sorcerer. So he's been in some films. He's still relevant. Hilary Dwyer, she played Sarah in the film. She's been in some other films and credits as well. She was actually in the Oblong Box, which preceded oh, right. this movie. Uh, she was a part of the, the show The Avengers, the original in 1967. She was also, like I said, mentioning uh, Wuthering Heights, and she was also in Cry of the Banshee. So she's been in some interesting film credits. Mm-hmm. 
Rupert Davies, he plays John Lowe's in this film. He's been in some pretty interesting credits as well. Rupert Davies. Yeah. Uh, you, you just mentioned he plays yes. Harrison Uncle. Yeah, so he won the award for first ever pipe smoker of the year. That's pretty fucking awesome. And eventually died of cancer. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> You're gonna go out. Yep. I got some. I got a few fil- uh, film credits. Not very many. The two that I have that are th- I thought were pretty interesting is one. It's Dracula has risen from the grave, and the spy who came in from the cold. Okay. So he's been in those films. Robert Russell, who plays the sidekick of Vincent Price in this film, John Stern. He was in the film Bedazzled. If you're familiar with that. I dig Bedazzled, yeah. and I dig the remake of Bedazzled, which a lot of people hate. No, I, I like really like, like that Fraser. movie. Yeah. I love Brendan uh, Elizabeth Fraser. Elizabeth Hurley. You know? mm-hmm. She's, uh, no, she's not bad on the eyes. He was a, also, we talked about this because of Tom Baker, but he was a part of Doctor Who in 1975. That's right. So I thought, yes, we do get a reference to Doctor Who in this. He was in The Sign of the Four and Men in the Wilderness. So that if you're familiar with Robert Russell, those are some of his credits. A couple of other credits they gave were Nicky Henson, he played Swallow in the film, and uh, Michael Bate, he played Captain Gordon. So those are my other two actors. In the film, production companies in this were Tygon British Films Production and American International Productions. And another part of the reason that it was marketed as the Carper Worm is because of AIP. And they're the ones who handled distributing it here in the States. So they had a big play in how it uh, got the name, Carper Worm. So okay. uh, you can give them some credit for that. Like I mentioned, the distributors were Tygon Pictures for the 68 uh, United Kingdom theatrical release in AIP and the 1968 USA theatrical. Cinematographer for this film is John Coco uh, Young. He did films. These are some pretty awesome films. He did Straw Dogs with Dustin Hoffman, okay. which is a ultra-violent film for that time period. It's fucking awesome. Black and white film. Highly recommend it. He was a cinematographer for that. The film The Changeling. Cross of Iron. He did Pat Garrett and the Billy the Kid and The Last Place on Earth. So he's got some pretty interesting film credits. Music in this went to Paul Ferris. He did the score for The Sorcerers, Creeping Flesh, and Blood Beast Terror. But for the U.S. release, it got switched. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I really kind of enjoyed the score. Yeah, it's it's a really good score, but it was. Uh, I'm looking through some some of these notes. Uh, General mm. Jar or some shit. Okay. But uh, he was paying homage to another musical composer. Michel Jarre. He was paying homage to that particular guy. But yeah, uh, that's our composer. The budget for this film was about £83,000 uh, British, about $170,000 United States. It grossed, when you include USA video rentals, a little over a million and a half dollars. So it's not a bad return after all those years. We do like taglines, right? Right. There is one for this film. Leave the children home, and if you're squeamish, stay home with them. Huh. That's off of the... United oh, because these are, these are the old school taglines where they were a yeah. lot more meta. Yeah. Where it was just oh, like... Man. They were good. It's like, so that's a solid one. There, there is another credit that I wanted to point yes, out please. real quick. Please. Very tiny. The, the character's name is literally... It's just Salter. He's a guy in the background in one of the scenes. I could probably pick him out if I was re-going through the movie. Yeah, but yeah. I can't just bring it to mind which of the, which of the background it. scenes it is. But it's a guy by the name of uh, Tony Selby. He's another one of these like British character actors that's been around for a bit, just doing TV here and there. However, I wanted to bring him up because he ties into one of my favorite 
horror comedies, Cockneys versus Zombies. Oh, that's a good film. He's in a he's in a bit role in that as well as yeah, Daryl. Nice. And so uh, I was like, oh shit, that guy looks kind of familiar. No, the person who rewrote the score, excuse me, is Kendall Schmidt for the United States release. We talked about Robert Russell, right? the guy who plays John Stern in this film, but his voice was dubbed. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. I think it's hard not to be aware of that yeah, when you're watching through this movie. The, the reason being is uh, I did read an interview that I'm not sure if it was Fangoria or it was it was a particular horror magazine. Right? It was an old interview with Ian Ogilvy. He had mentioned the fact that Robert Russell has a very unique high-pitched voice that's kind of like doesn't really match <laughs> what, they were, what they were yeah, going for. Exactly. So the guy who replaced his voice is Bernard Kay. And Bernard Kay plays the fisherman. He does a great little job. His little yes. like two minutes on the beach. Yeah. So Bernard Kay, the guy that we'll see later on in the film and we'll mention. Yeah, he does he dubs the entire dialogue of Robert Russell. In this film. Now, <laughs> I wanted to mention kind of how I ended up finding this movie. Yeah, please. Uh, pretty cool. uh, above, above all the other, you know, amazing Vincent Price movies, House on the Haunted Hill, this and that, you know, things that people would be, you know, more Super apt familiar. to just completely call to mind. Also, Jeffrey Rush was amazing in the remake, but yeah. playing Vincent Price, uh, I thought he did just a spot on performance. Home. Spot on performance. But... I actually ran into the, uh, well, first off, the type of character that Matthew Hopkins is, yeah. is like, that's what I get down on. Like I've mentioned before, like being a fan of Solomon Kane, who would be kind of like the good version of Matthew Hopkins in a world where witchcraft does exist and he's right. not just using it to be a sadistic bastard. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exploitative. Or in the Warhammer universe, Matthias Tholman was, is also very much in like the good version of of what's his name matthew hopkins yeah. or extended to the the extended 40k universe a lot of the inquisitors are very close to being very hopkins-esque uh as well as like the witcher Geralt is very hopkins-esque except more in a good guy role and so when i first found out about this movie it attracted me because i like that type of character and a it was neat to see an evil version of it. But I found out about it because of metal. Yeah. I first, I found it because I heard the song by Cathedral, Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. Okay. And I couldn't get it out of my head. It was stuck in there for like two days. So I popped it into Google and I was like, oh shit, this is what they're talking about. And it was one of those things where like, as soon as I saw it that first time, Suddenly, I started running into it all over the place because, like, very quickly after that, I was rewatching through Blackadder season one, okay. and there's an entire episode that kind of lampoons Matthew Hopkins oh. with a with a character named the Witch Smeller Persuvian, <laughs> or yeah, Persuivant or something like yeah. that. And that one has uh, Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, that's right, Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, so. That's that's somebody I, I grew up with, not personally, but and then and then also around that time period, I would have read Good Omens for the first time. That has a character that also kind of lampoons the whole Witchfinder general thing with Newton Pulsifer. <laughs> that's funny. The the Witchfinder. Oh God, is he a yeah the Witchfinder private? And then <laughs> and and his sergeant, the Witchfinder sergeant Shadwell of the Witchfinder army. Of which Hopkins was supposed to have been the last general. And we mention this movie in a lot of our podcasts. In a extra scene that didn't make it into the final cut, Hopkins showed up in Lords of Salem. Oh, no doubt. Played by Udo Kier. No shit. Wow. Did not know that. That's interesting. That's pretty cool. 
And in fact, some of the methods used during the Salem trials were based off of the book that the sidekick, John Stern, in real life, wrote after they had retired. That's pretty interesting, huh? So. That's pretty cool. There, There's one other thing, well, two things I wanted to mention, too, before we kind of delve really into this film. There's an actress in this film, uh, Margaret Nolan. I think she plays... Just like one of the girls that are in the ends, the taverns in this film. But the film that I want to mention is that she was a part of some of the Jane Bond films. So I started looking around at some of these other actors and actresses and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Pretty interesting role. But anyhow, she was a part of that. Uh, Vincent Price is one of the people that we work with. He had mentioned growing up, you know, in the 70s and uh, in the afternoon, there was a particular show that it was geared towards like maybe preteens, teenagers. That mm-hmm. kind of market. Uh, anyhow, it was like a variety show. And uh, Vincent Price did the opening theme narration for it. And that show is called The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Huh. Yeah, if you're interested in that, you can check out the YouTube clip. It's pretty interesting. He doesn't really do any of the skits, per se. Right. But he does, you know, like I said, Wendy's voice. It's pretty cool. That's but, cool. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if you're familiar with, like, some of these actors, especially Vincent Price, pretty sure that your older family members, perhaps aunts, uncles, grandparents are probably familiar maybe with this film. Yeah, it's a good film. I guess with that, let's let's pop into the warning. So this movie was kind of controversial for its time period. Yeah. Uh, it basically because it had to get toned down several times and like recut and stuff. And I think they've elaborated on some of what the changes that were made have been. Uh, yeah, there was like I didn't, more. I unfortunately didn't write them There was supposed down. to be more obscene like torture scenes and so with, keep that in mind that there's there are there is some violence in this film. But that's the thing. Like this movie was more controversial because it's not that bad. No, it, it no, just really. compared to the other movies of the time period, like the the camera would hold on for just one second longer compared to all the other movies. Or the, yeah, the scream would be just that a little bit louder, and it just seemed to be that little bit more sadistic than most of the others. But, and I think that was more or less with the film board, where like let's tone down the sadism and some of the uh, the tones here and see what we can work with because it's. It's an interesting film, you know, overall. That being said, the little bit of blood that is shown looks like red candle wax. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Sadism is eh. Yeah, it's it's in training. It's you know. Um, put it I mean, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to try to make light because like no. this, it's, the, it's these things were done matter. to real people. And yeah. I mean, I guess at a certain point, you get people's. It's being shown them being drowned and stabbed in the back. Yeah, and it's pretty intense some moments and throw it put into a fire yeah although that one is pretty obviously fake well yeah but just the fact alone that this actually happened to uh relative to people that might be listening the stabbings in the back look pretty good yeah i mean they did but it's not like big like opening up giant holes it's like just literally to see if they bleed it's with like a tiny (sighs) needle and yeah no that's very sadistic but yeah i mean it, it has its moments language wise it's it's tame i mean not really any cussing i don't believe i don't think they curse at all if if all it's i mean the worst thing that they can call somebody is a papist (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) yeah exactly Um, the pope's butt liquor and it's not it's not really a traditional horror movie there's not jump scares and stuff as we sort of led into earlier it's a movie about people being shitty to each other exactly and with horror it doesn't have to be like you say a traditional horror film but it does give moments of dread and terror. And in certain parts, it's like, is this really happening? Did this really happen in history? So mm-hmm. you know, keep that in mind. In a way, it kind of reminded me almost like like Grindhouse Light. Yeah. Like the, the point was kind of to, to shock 
but not not those audiences that were already extreme. It's it was meant to shock the people that that were just sort of not not all the way into that category yet. I could see this being like maybe an opening film for a double feature. Yeah, you know, to something like follows it that's a little bit more sadistic. But this is not a bad film. Like I said, it's said for its time period, you got to keep in mind '68. The UK were known for banning a lot of horror films mm-hmm. during this time period, so keep that in mind as well. But yeah, it's, it's super tame compared to what we've seen before. Yeah, like I said, if tame. this is your introduction to our podcast, once again, welcome. But this is very tame compared to some of the other films that we have covered. If you like those sort of things, check our back catalog too. But I think with that, let's get into the guts and bolts and yeah. just sort of talk about this movie a little I'm bit. Definitely down with that. Guts and bolts. Alrighty, so we're uh, we're now in the blood and guts of our twenty six guts film. and bolts. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, anywho, yeah, we're doing uh, the Witchfinder General, aka the Conqueror War Man. It opens up kind of you like know, a, it's a, overall kind of a simple movie. It really. is, I mean, it's super simple, really, in, in the regard to how it's portrayed. Right, period piece, sixteen forty five, right. and right off the bat, they give you like a narration, uh-huh. and it's a lot of heavy exposition right off the bat. Yeah. And they basically explain to you that fucking there's basically no rules out here right now because there's a civil war on. Yeah, so like you said, it's, it's the middle of the 1600s in England. You have Cromwell's parliament and uh, was it King Charles I's monarchy, essentially. And so, yeah, so they had these free reigns in certain areas. And most of this film takes place in East Anglia, which, mm-hmm. is, which is mostly in the Cromwell's grasp. So that's kind of the setting in this film. And they break down exactly for you, like, how Matthew Hopkins is getting away with his shit. They basically just show up somewhere, charge and torture confessions out of people as to being witches, execute them for being witches, and then charge the local magistrates for for the public service that they did. So they get silver shillings for their deeds. And it helps to have, like, a magistrate that sort of will will bend to their whims a little bit. And so they don't ask too many questions. What they basically end up doing is just wait for people to put hits on people that's essentially what it is you just charge somebody with witchcraft be it woman be it man be it whomever they had these certain rituals to prove one's innocence and or guilt of witchcraft and they were usually such ridiculous tests that regardless of what happens someone's gonna die i mean come on i'm trying to remember how it goes i i did a little bit of reading on it when we were looking up shit and right. if i remember right at least in real life what the goal is that the people would be charged with something else not necessarily with witchcraft, but they would try to get them to confess to witchcraft because at that point that it trumped all the other crime, but it also made it so that all the other crimes were basically considered to be true against them. I see what you mean. It's a word. So they, yeah, they would be captured and imprisoned on counts of having done this and this. Right. But then the torturing would be in order not to get them to confess to those crimes, but to get them to confess to witchcraft instead. You torture somebody to the point where they'll, they'll confess to whatever you hang over them just for the mere fact that they want to get out of that position that they're in. Who the hell wants to get tortured in the first place? I mean, obviously, especially uh, with as much free reign as being given with the uh, with all the social disorder and stuff, obviously certain things would have been overlooked. There were rules as to what they could do and couldn't do. And like a lot of the more traditional forms of torture, they actually couldn't really get away with. And if there were 
like marks of that upon the prisoner, then it would invalidate because, you know, they were still given trials and stuff. And that, that's the sort of thing that, you know, would invalidate the trial. Which would make However, sense. the things that they could do still involved like sleep deprivation yeah. and like what we see in this movie of them like sticking them with the, the needles to try to find the devil's mark yeah, and stuff. Exactly. They couldn't sit there and like flay them like the old times, but they could certainly do that over and over and over again. Yeah, to, they had they had methods. There were, they had loopholes to still yeah. be able to torture, but some of the some of the old school tortures they they couldn't get away with. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, I did have a birthday at a place called Medieval Times mm-hmm. in New Jersey, and part of that particular one, they had a torture chamber that you could kind of visit. Yeah, yeah, it's a part. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So uh, you get to see some pretty cool shit in there. But uh, it kind of reminds you of that when you when you think of some of the torture devices during the Inquisition, you know, witch trial hunts and all these different things. Man, it's pretty gnarly, dude. Some of the uh, depravity, and you know, people talk about you know it's bad now. It's like, well, you know, people weren't these innocent people that some people might portray them out to be. People have been pretty gnarly to each other for a very long time. Oh yeah, I mean, like Hopkins is responsible for the deaths of what, like three hundred women? People like over what the course of three years? Yeah, hundred people a year. One people a year. One every three days. Jesus Murphy, man. That's crazy, isn't it? One every four days, because I guess 365 days a year. So. I mean, what's he doing in between? He's like, ah, I need rest, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I wish I would have saved the article so that I could cite my sources a little bit okay. better, but fuck it, this is the internet. I can speak whatever fucking bullshit I want. Our goddamn president does it, so. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I read something recently where, because we're on the subject of witchcraft, yeah, yeah. that the women convicted at Salem wouldn't have been burned at the stake. They all would have been hung because something because of what the legal definitions of what they would have been charged with were, were slightly different than the mainland Europe ones. And so I think legally here, they would have been charged with heresy rather than witchcraft and heresy was punishable by hanging. Whereas witchcraft was hangable by burning. So just different charges. Yeah. Gotcha. But that's just a weird thing. Ties into witchcraft. Ties into them, kind of. Good point. Like you said, technicalities, man. How it's. And I might just be language. speaking on my ass, but. But no, I mean, I can I can understand that though because that was that was usually with the crime you would see heresy. Mm-hmm. Heretics, all that nonsense. I mean, if you're familiar with that. I mean, in this, they're mostly charging them as idolaters. Yeah, worshiping figures of Satan and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I would imagine that this film is kind of tipping its hat to at this point. And we're still in the very like opening two minutes of the movie, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, when you think about it, you have to give it some context you know, during that time period, man. What was going on in Europe? What was going on across the pond in the states? Not the complete states at that point, but you know, the colonies. Some some weird shit going on, man. You know? Oh, and we do say that. Like the real life Hopkins retired. Right. He did retire and lived comfortably until he died of, I think it was sickness, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that long. He died before he was 30. Damn. Because it's 1645, and you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he lived a an honest man's life during that time period. That's about the ripe old age of 30. Damn. Yeah. That would be wild. I mean, that's just a different time period, man. You know, got to pack in as much shit as you can. Yeah. <laughs> pack in killing as much poor women as you can. <sighs> I'm not on uh, baseless know, charges. Yeah, it's like we're not condoning it. I mean, we're just throwing some facts around here. You guys should done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't fault him for that. I put it this way: you give him a different uh, career path, he was still a uh, go-getter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he still had it in him. <laughs> just he chose a different career path. 
Yeah, so you want to kind of talk about how this film develops? It's weird because it really doesn't have much to do with the rest of the it's movie, except silent. it sets up it sets up it's why the, why they're so indebted to your yeah. lead character. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a precursor for things to come. Because you see a woman getting dragged from town by a group of black Oh, people. yeah, fuck. I forgot that that's how it starts. Yeah, and she gets led up to a hill where you get to see these guys erecting a, a wooden cross. Yeah, plant. they're erecting a gallows. Yeah. I mean, she she's executed. Yeah, so that's she's the home. opening of it. The opening first couple of minutes of it, there's a woman getting for executed. hanging. I can understand yeah. how that for that time period, it probably was pretty extreme because they they watch yeah. her body for a little bit, but it's not like what's to come. She's not no. jerking. She's as soon as it happens, she's done. Yeah, I mean, you know what happened. But what the the thing I like about this too is you get like the the backdrop and you get to see Vincent Price for the first time, kind of peering in, and it yeah Matthew Hopkins. Yeah, I like that. I'm like yes, that's pretty cool. Way and then you get cool. credit sequence. And that's the last time you see Matthew Hopkins for another 15 minutes. Uh, Because from that point, you get to see... This is what I was thinking of. This is when you see, like, this doesn't have much to do other than establishing the lawlessness and setting up the fact that the captain's kind of indebted to Ian. Uh, I can't remember his character's name, but to Ian Ogilvy. Richard Marshall? Richard Marshall, yeah. Dick. Dick. Yeah, so... What's it? The point of it is, is um, they get ambushed by a group of, I guess it's King the, Charles men. Right? Yeah, because they're roundheads, so they're they're Cromwell's men. They're, yeah, they're royal loyalists, right? So they adhere to the king. They sneak up on Cromwell's soldiers, right? Which is what Richard Marshall is a part of. Yeah, and they get one guy, and I guess the other guy they're sneaking off. Long story short, at Richard the very end, when they all regroup. They almost get snuck up on again, but he catches it. Catches the guy. Bam. Yeah. Right in the forehead. Saves his captain's life. Dude, I thought that was so dope how they made it that the captain had the fucking, the powder burn. Yeah. How close it was to his shoulder to pull it off. I thought that was, that was a really cool detail. Made him look like a fucking badass. Attention to detail. You're right. It's uh, pretty cool. So once but I'm also, I, I was kind of curious, though, and I feel bad not knowing this, because I grew up around firearms my entire life, but I never fucked around with black powder firearms. Right, right. And I'm curious if, if he was close enough that his clothing was powder marked like that, would he have gotten burned from the, the muzzle flash? That's a good point. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah, if it left a powder mark... Is a maybe not, maybe... I don't know. If somebody it, knows, I mean, it didn't catch his clothes on fire, though. Yeah, either. exactly. It didn't reach the flashpoint of the material, so... No. They were probably using hemp back then. All right. <laughs> Long story short is uh, Richard gets, like, a grant of two days leave. He winds up going into the town that the priest and his uh, niece, Sarah, stay at, right? This is Brandonston, uh, and it's in Suffolk. While Richard is there, talks to the priest about wanting to get hook up with Sarah, like, wanting to marry her, take care of her, and all this stuff, right? Well, the, the whole... The conversation seemed to me like like they've been like courting for a bit. Oh yeah, but things like have gotten reality. bad to the point where yeah, the the point. priest was iffy on him before, but he realizes that his doubts don't mean as much as both her happiness and her safety. And that's something that both of those are something that he can provide. Yeah, because he does make mention of, of, of the fact that there's trouble coming into town and that he needs Richard to take Sarah far away as possible. And I mean, he does a good job. He looks worried the entire yeah. time. He keeps looking around. Um, he's 
He's very careful yeah, with his that's, words. Uh, that's Rupert Davies, right? Right. John Lowe's. Uh, yeah, he does a really good job, which we'll find out much later in the film, too. He does a really good job. They have that exchange about Sarah, then Sarah comes out. So here's the other thing I was going to point out, though, is yeah. that he seemed like a cool dad, right? Because, like, he's, he knew that they were going to screw, right? Oh, yeah. That's I mean, what it that seemed was, like to you? That was her uncle, but yeah. I, I mean, mean, not yeah, not dad, but, uncle, but... But, no, I mean... Yeah, he was like he's still her guardian, basically. At yeah, this point, yeah, he's like in time. just remember supper. It's like at blah 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 seven or eight o'clock, and he's having. the fucking priest of the village. Yeah, I and mean, he knows they're unwed. I was thinking, damn, what a time to be alive. <laughs> he knows they're unwed. He's yeah. her uncle. He's her guardian, basically, yeah, is what it yeah. seems to be. It would make perfect sense. But he's cool. He's like she's an adult. She can make her own choices. These kids are about to get married. As long as supper's ready by eight. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. There ain't shit to watch on TV because it's not even around yet. <laughs> I got nothing to do. <laughs> oh, they end up screwing that night. Yeah, here's something that's interesting about this part of the film, too, is the fact that the lady who plays Sarah in the film, she talked about the fact that I think her mother, like some other relatives, went and seen it when it first came out. She got a little bit embarrassed because... She didn't realize... Her boob? Yeah, her boob was going to come out. And oh, we forgot to warn about the nudity. Yeah, there's I like mean, two seconds of nudity. Yeah, it's, it's some bare breast, big deal. It's, there's nothing gratuitous about it. Yeah, but they have a little love scene. And then, doesn't he like make mention that he's got to dip out? Oh, yeah, I think so. He's just like, uh, yeah, but, so uh, my Uber's here. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I would stay, but... I mean, they charge by the hour. You know? <laughs> anyhow, let's see. He makes a vow to her, right? Uh, to protect her. And anyhow, I guess all this shit happens. This, I guess, this is where Hopkins and Sturm they start to ride on horseback, and they're and they're on actually their way to Brandonstone, or they're looking for Priest Lowe's. Oh, I do want to point out that part where he makes the oath. It's because she explains to him why the un- her uncle was so scared. Yeah, and they're especially because of their relationship with him yeah the town is mostly loyalists oh, yeah. and I so did. they're being accused of everything under the sun including being papists mm-hmm. uh and have basically become outcasts in the village which which people see is tying yourself with to the pope mm-hmm. and catholicism i suppose yeah. as opposed to protestantism mm-hmm. in those days so yeah there was a big split in the church around that time too and I mean, shit, depending on where you're at, there still is, but... Well, yeah, I mean, it still lingers, you're absolutely right. But yeah, I guess at that time in England, too, I mean, over time, but um, that's a good point. Yeah, she's she's feared because, yeah, there's still loyalist supporters in that region, right? Makes perfect sense. As he's writing out, though, this is where you get the funny little by-chance meetup. He runs into Hopkins yeah. and Stern. They are. There's uh, Isn't there some, like, some men waiting on the road? It's like getting near dark, mm-hmm. and he's like, isn't it too early to be stargazing? It's like, we're not stargazing, mister. We're waiting for a lawyer. Yeah, waiting for a lawyer. They're looking for Hopkins. Yeah. Like, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Gives him his name, everything. Yeah, I mean, this is... We're talking about uh, Dick here, Marshall. Marshall rides up, and eventually he does run into uh, Hopkins and Stearns. Right and lets him know that they're waiting. I yeah. thought for sure that they were an ambush. You know, that's a good point. Um, here's something they make mention, too. But it's no, it's just a group of shitty people yeah. looking to... Basically, well, it, it was what it was the it was the local magistrate, right? Yeah. So they were basically just looking to upset some of the political power in their town. 
That's get rid of some of the people they don't like. Put some of their boys in. But he's kind of a pushover himself and is kind of willing to let Hopkins do whatever the fuck he wants otherwise. Yeah, it's fucked up. Some the, of that, I guess, is explained a little bit later on in the well, movie, yeah, but that, that ends up being the entire sort of setup. But that's how, yeah, that's how it works from town to town, I would imagine. It might have been Vincent Price who says this. He, uh, he says something there for someone who isn't what they appear to be, because right? he asked what their business is in Brandonston. Uh-huh. He's like, we're looking for someone who isn't what they seem to be. So he's, he's alluding to the fact that the priest isn't what he appears to be but uh which richard, is bullshit it's, yeah but richard doesn't put two and two together that he's there for the priest right mm-hmm. he you know he just he has to meet back up with his boys his soldiers so here i want to I, I sort of wasn't paying attention to okay. my notes that well and there's a couple notes i made by this point in the movie first one is that ian ogilvy reminds me a lot of a more charming matthew good yeah. Who people might remember as being Ozymandias in The Watchmen. I mean, dude's <laughs> done a lot of shit that I haven't watched. Yeah. That's what I always remember him as. <laughs> uh, as Adrian Veidt. And not that he isn't charming, but fucking oh, yeah. Ogilvy's great. He reminds me of Matthew Good mixed with Carrie Elvis. Okay. And trying. I honestly think that his career path should have been in in parodies. He kind of had that charm and the, the right facial quirks and smile and shit. Where he could just crack off the jokes. Just yeah. No, he had really good timing and good presence. Great timing the entire way through. Yeah. I love what, one of his first lines when it's like, what, you're thinking ungodly thoughts of Sarah? Thoughts of her? Yes. Ungodly? Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is pretty a pretty interesting exchange they, they have on that little path. Dick and uh, that other soldier comrade. He writes the one other that. note that I made that I, we've skipped by at this point was that all that exposition and the political setup and the ambush in the beginning, as a reference to something more recent as to what it reminded me of, is the Witcher series and uh, the sort of political landscape that you're riding through play those games. If you're a fan of those, that's kind of actually how this movie feels. It's the same sort of turmoil. Yeah, I want to imagine... From town to town, you have different sort of different set of rules and principles, but you know which people adhere by. So it makes the political landscape a big fucking mess, right? Which is happening here during this time period too, right? Just a lot of unsettle and uncertainty, and a lot of uh, backstabbing, and you name it. But I, I suppose the whole point of that exchange afterward is the fact that Stern and company, including you know Hopkins, of course, the main culprit. They wind up getting the priest. Sarah comes out. She kindly gets accused of... Uh, well, it is Vincent Price, right? He, he winds up meeting her. He goes off and meets her. And she doesn't admit to being related to her, her uncle. She just says that she lives there and they take care of her. Anyhow, she does a favor in exchange for him not being accused of witchcraft, or at least not being killed and tortured at this point. So, so instead, he's just thrown in prison as long as... Vincent Price gets to come over that night. Yeah, Vincent Price. It's it's assumed, right, inferred, that there's some nookie going on between Sarah and uh, Hopkins. And, and they had already started in on the priest. They had poked him a little bit. They fucking yeah. started running around the Looking table the to, just, marks, right? to just exhaust him. And him so, yeah, Hopkins goes up there that night. They have a little exchange where he kind of skirts around and he's like, never quite says that he's going to be entirely kind to her but in his actions afterwards he does at least go down and be like nope leave him alone just imprison him but don't fucking touch him the whole time though i think stern just kind of 
knows what's going on. Oh, Stern knows what's going on. And not does not only does Stern know what's going on, but Stern knows exactly how to play his boss. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think leaked over from the original version of the script. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier that Vincent Price wasn't supposed to be the lead. Exactly. It was supposed Plus. to be Donald Pleasant. And the idea was that during that version, the character of Matthew Hopkins was actually supposed to be a little bit more like inept and yeah. bungling. Exactly. And move. the sidekick was actually supposed to be kind of in charge. Which makes perfect sense when you see how this is gets played out a little bit. And that's the thing. Throughout this movie, especially the first half, I think the second half of the movie... You can see that switch. There's a switch. I, I feel like those scenes must have been very intentionally changed to make that switch. I can understand that. Because Matthew Hopkins really doesn't show... In my opinion, he doesn't ever really show what he's truly made of. Because he seems more than absolutely confident that he can do it by himself. He yeah. just prefers not to. Because he makes it easier. He's the guy who makes it happen. He doesn't do it, he just makes it happen. But he seems confident that... Oh, fucking I mean, if whatever. it came down to it, he's down for it. And so that makes me think that he's kind of a badass. He's yeah. gotta be. And he seems to be a quick draw. So Which there's that. It's funny because we found out later on that Pleasance was a quick draw right <laughs> that's fucking funny man but in this early half of the movie fucking stern always has his number yeah he does and from the get-go he knows what's going on with hopkins yep. he knows exactly how to get at hopkins he knows to get what he wants he doesn't really show him that much respect it's a partnership not because of they chose each other's is because it's convenient they know how it functions that partnership i mean stern in a way is like ron from game of thrones mm -hmm. He's a sellsword that's there mostly because he's getting paid, but he yeah. is kind of a friend because he's been doing it enough and they work well enough together. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he'll still have your back, but... Uh, he's absolutely. a tiny bit of a friend, but yeah. he's way more of a sellsword. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't put it past him if Slip Mother out, <laughs> if given the chance. Let's put it that way. What was it? The long story short in this one is uh, they start torturing people in the, the cells, which... They're trying to extract their confessions. Yeah, I mean, that's all they're doing. A couple random people have been named because Hopkins like, go to town, you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And it's already been established that Stern likes to do that shit. Hopkins gets called away to another town up the yeah. road. He does get called off, and while that happens, he guess he kind of leaves uh, Stern's in charge. And while Stern's is in charge of that town, Sarah's still there in town, and Stern's winds up basically raping Sarah. Well, that's the thing. He, like I said, he knows how to play his boss. He can't touch the priest. But he but, didn't say anything about Sarah. Yeah, Hopkins never said anything about Sarah. He knows that if somebody else, rape or not, if anybody else screws Sarah, he knows that his boss isn't going to be into it. He's weird about that shit because he's this weird Puritan witch finder. There was a, a witness to that assault, though. and Who was the other guy that they hired on when they got to town? Yeah, and somehow they met up with, with Hopkins, Vincent Price, and told him the whole series of events. And then he's like, oh, okay. Later on, he, he tells him he changes his mind about the priests. Yeah, okay, we can he's not going to touch the girl anymore, so there's no sense to keep giving in to her whims. Yeah, so, so when, when that happens, fair game. uh oh. Yeah, so this is where the film kind of gets a little dark. All these scenes, too, really showcase the fact I wrote Spaghetti Western, question mark, that Stern was dubbed over the entire time. That's funny, dude. That uh, so at first, funny. I didn't know that it was somebody else's voice when I, I was either. first watching it. I thought something fucked up and they didn't have like the money to reshoot or something and so i thought that it was just adr the entire thing nope it's somebody else okay. dubbed in over top the entire thing that is that's pretty amazing it would have been interesting to hear robert russell's voice as john stern but they chose otherwise right oh this scene where they get the priest and a couple other women and some other people and they want to take him to the moat in the village and this is where you get to see drown or float yeah know? the three of them are lowered down 
if they swim or if they float. Well, the idea is they don't explain it fully in the movie, but the idea is, is the pact with Satan would cause the water, the symbolic water from baptism to be reversed and the water would repel them. So that's why they would either float or swim. (laughs) And if, and if you died, then it meant that you were telling the truth. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, exactly. One way or the other, you're going to fucking die. That's what I'm getting at. And so um, he basically there, just lowers them in there until one of them drowns, the old lady. There is a brilliant joke that happens right before she gets drowned, that old lady. And it happens between she and Stearns. And oh, her. I'm pregnant. Yeah, oh my god, oh shit, that shit's so funny. Uh, let me see, because I got it written down. Yeah, yeah she's like, uh, you wouldn't accuse a woman of witchcraft, you know, while pregnant. And he says, and who would want to make you pregnant, witch? Yeah. <laughs> right, which... The town erupts in laughter, and I did too. <laughs> I'm like, damn, sick burn. <laughs> because after he says that to her, she kind of puts her head down in shame and shakes her head a little bit. Like, that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but she goes down. The priest goes down. They all go down. The w- There's one person who does drown, right? The old lady drowns. Yeah. And that's when he's... As soon as she drowns, that's when he orders it over. The other two come up, so he's like, hang them. Yeah, it's time to get hung. So what happens? And they the go priest? get hung. Yeah, that other person... They do. After that happens, they get nine silver coins for their deeds. That's Hopkins and Stearns. Richard Marshall, that is, learns of the priest's fate while gathering horses. Apparently, he needs to get some horses for his troop. Tells him about, uh, yeah, he needs the horses. Uh, Richard winds up going back to Brandonstone after he learns about the fate of the priest. He gets back, and he immediately goes and finds Sarah. Sarah. She tells him everything that happened, including... They wind up going to a church, right? Yeah, they they go to the church. It's been, like, desecrated, which is written in there, and all sorts of shit. And she she lets him know everything that happened, including the rape. And he's just like, you know what, fuck it, whatever. And he does his best to perform their own marriage. Yeah, right he, there. He, he prays for a blessing and for forgiveness. Then he vows, and vows for revenge and justice. Here's an interesting thing about that, though, is that there's like verses in there talking about not vowing yeah. for revenge and mm-hmm. justice and all these things. So, and he, he gets her to run off to Levenham. Yeah, it, w- the whole point, I think, of, of this film with him and her is the fact that he keeps telling her that he's going to protect her. And it seems like every time he just doesn't really live up to that. But he does send her off to Levenham. He wants her to take uh, shelter up there. While he has to ride off again with his his troops. So he does. He winds off riding off. Yeah. She gets there. And, I mean, we don't see any of that. But she's there. And she's apparently living there for like a week or so. Hopkins and Stern get there for their own reasons. Basically, because the magistrate's willing, as far as I can see. Yeah, I think they pretty much just, once they leave Bradenstone, they get another commission of some witchcraftery, maybe possibly heading up to Lavin. Mm -hmm. When Richard rides off, kind of in between those scenes of Sarah being in Lavinum and Richard and Stern's and Hopkins traveling that way, Richard winds up running into a guy, Shepard. It talks about Oxney and uh, how it's like up the road, because that's kind of where, I think that's where... Hopkins and Stearns are initially heading is up to Oxney. So they just have that little exchange. Actually, I think they're on their way to Cambridge at that point. Now, what I do remember is that when... That part was a lot of writing, honestly. It's just like... Like, a lot of drawn-out writing sequences with a little bit of exposition in between. The big thing is, Sarah gets to Levenham, and then Hopkins get to Levenham. Yes, when. When they get there and are meeting with the magistrate, Hopkins notices that Sarah's there. Yeah, they so he knows that, that Marshall's going to be coming at some point. Way. So they start plotting on what they're going to do uh, in these circumstances. Hopkins does make mention of the fact that he's not overly concerned. They just need to plot some, right, what they're going to do with them. Oh shit, did we... There's a fight scene that I think we skipped over. I was about to say, we skipped over the fact that when 
when Hopkins and Stern are heading to Levenham, they get they get attacked and separated for a bit because they don't get reunited until Levenham later towards the end. Yeah. They run into a roundhead patrol and there's a bit of a chase scene. I think they kill one of the guys. Fucking Stern gets captured. Hopkins gets away and that's when he gets to Levenham and he learns that Sarah's there and shit because Stern well, doesn't know that till later. Yes, because Stern is a... Oxney. He's taken, I guess, shelter there. Richard arrives in Oxney at that tavern, and that's where he recognizes... Well, he's at the barkeep. He asks the barkeep about Hopkins and Stearns, and I guess Stearns overhears them, and they have an exchange. Stearns and Richard have an exchange at that bar, and they start fighting, and then that... Oh, bar, and that's when they're first headed... That's when he first heads off, and they're going to go to Levenham. Is yes, when they get... It's kind of in He basically gets chased out of town by him. Yeah, and that's when Stearns meets up with Hopkins... In Lebanon and warns him, I guess, once he sees Sarah, like he knows that's when Richard's on his way and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a horse chasing and Sue Stearns finds Hopkins. They hide. Yeah, that's when Richard kind of rides off. He rides by them because mm-hmm. Stearns and the, Hopkins the quick meet corner. back up. Yeah. Yep. That's when they leave for Lavenham. That's where they plot Richard's demise. Richard escapes punishment because he meets back up with his troop. Uh, his superior, he tells him, you know, if it wasn't for you, the fact that... Well, and they still get split up, too, on the way. Because Stern doesn't actually know that Sarah's there till later. He just knows that they're plotting against Richard. Yeah, but the, they, the soldiers do eventually wind up confronting him. Uh, he ends up... He, he's a fucking badass, too. He kills them both to get away before he actually ends up meeting back up with Hopkins because he's happens. pissed when he meets back up yeah, with because Hopkins once Hopkins on. and, yeah, and they split up from that little soldier encounter, that's when he meets back up with him in love with him. He's pissed and he's going to do something about it, but Hopkins got that quick draw on him. And he's like, look, I saved you your money, even though you weren't here doing the work. Yeah. I continued doing the work. I've got this all set up. You can continue working with me, continue getting paid. You got out. I got out. Everything's good. Or you can continue to push the issue and I'm going to kill you because you know that I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty badass. Like you said, he starts to show his real side. Yeah, towards the end, like during that chase and stuff, it was a bit opportunistic, but it really was the nature of their deal. They had the opportunity to get out. Stern, unfortunately, didn't make it. That's just how the way the cookie crumbled, really. Yeah, one thing I did like about Stern is like he did get shot after he was escaping. He's like, oh, you know, all mm-hmm. shit. But he did use like a poker or some shit to get that bullet out. They yeah. Out, he passes out and that's when he comes back too. I like that a little bit too. Like, he, had some, he had some gall to take a bullet and fish that bitch out. <laughs> In the meantime, when all that was going on, Marshall was supposed to be going after the king. Yeah, because he does get a different summons to go after King Charles. He get yeah, he gets a not just that, he gets a promotion to captain. Yeah. They do promote him to captain. That's pretty cool. And so he's supposed to be going and finding the king, and so that's when you run into like the fisherman on the beach sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's all fantastic, actually. I thought that little two minutes that the fisherman did a fantastic job. Yeah, and that's the the fisherman who plays in that scene is actually the guy who dubs the voice for Stearns, right? Robert Russell. Uh Bernard K does the voice <laughs> throughout the dub voice. I, and actually, I want to mention Stern learned that Hopkins for sure went to Levenham yeah. from from a guy that he was trying to buy a horse from. Yeah, exactly. He learns uh, that, that Hopkins is in Levenham. I really wanted to mention this guy because I thought he fucking stole that scene. He was the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, he had some really I, cool... Was I, I tried figuring out who he was because, the, I mean, for a lot of those bit roles, like Salter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shepard, yeah. and I was flipping through and trying to match faces to this and that, and I think his name is Peter Thomas. I'm not positive. 
I want to watch. I wish. I wish that somebody would have been like, "Give me this guy, and let's make an entire sitcom around him because he was great." It's like he had some good comic timing. Oh, he was fantastic. It was just like, oh, oh, what kind of work you and your partner do? Oh, witch finding. That's nice. Yeah, Yeah, there are some really funny scenes like that happen in that. I even like the scene like with with a guy Bernard Kaley, so he plays a fisherman where he uh, they make mention. He's like, you know, we're in the middle of a civil war. He's like, oh. I, I didn't know there was a war on until you lost show, though. Yeah, exactly. I, I just cared about business. So once they find out that the king is pretty much gone... King, the king's trail does sort of lead him to Levenham. It does. He didn't quite go, like, completely out of his way by going there. No, but, but he, he does find out that Hopkins is there, and yes. he knows Sarah's there, so he's like... Because he does hear of the fact that there's witch hunting going up in Levenham. At this point, I, I think it cuts back to them. That's when they burn the witch. Yeah, Hopkins and the rest of the mob... They're in Lebanon. They carry out that witch execution. They call out Elizabeth Clark, which was one of the girls that gets accused of witchcraft because, uh, I don't know, her suitor, her boyfriend or whatever is in the crowd and he keeps calling out for her. Mm-hmm. She's like, all right, bring her out. She winds up getting burned alive in front of all the villagers. That's I feel like that's one of the scenes that would have been controversial Ooh. because of how, how far you get her into the because fire. You do see, like, but when she goes up, scene. she goes up way too quickly. Like, it's obvious she was oh, like a yeah. scarecrow. Like, yeah. it... Yeah. It's it was like a hay stuffed fucking doll. It just goes. I mean, you, especially wow. when it starts coming down, you can definitely tell. But I think if they would have that really. voiceover scream, if they would have had her scream all the way down in the fire, they probably would have had to cut that too. It would have been so Induced, much more disturbing. Yeah, so it would induce that dread feeling. It's still so, pretty cool. Though, I still honestly. liked it, but in that scene, you do get a, the fact that Sarah's watching it from afar. I think that's when Sturms finally arrives in Levin. Uh, he confronts Hawkins. Hawkins, like I said, pulls out his gun. Let's him in on the plan, basically. Yeah. Um, he, he tells him of his new title that the people start calling him Witchfinder General. General. That he should be all of England. Like, that's his main goal is to be that of all of England. That's where you, like you said, they spot Sarah. She's panicking at the fact that, that she knows they're in town. Like I said, they believe Richard's close by. They, they Their whole plan is to accuse Sarah and Richard of witchcraft. That's right. what they're going to do. That's the thing. So all they really have to do is set up around Sarah, which is what yes. they do. We don't and see them set up using their plan. Her as the bait. But they use her Richard. as the bait because they know as, as soon as Richard's in town, he's going to go to her. I think maybe there's somewhere along the lines, maybe they, they learn that they're married or at least courting each it other. Was, it was because of when Richard ran into Stern at the bar. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm Sarah's husband before he punches him. Oh, that, yep. That's it. But that's the thing. He goes and they have like an hour together and then they get arrested. And I kind of thought that shit was going to go off crazier there because I thought his boys were down in the bar. That's uh, Gins and Stearns. They capture Richard and Sarah in the tavern. The guy who's girlfriend got accused of witchcraft the woman on the ladder right when they're coming out he shows up because he's pissed to hop obviously pissed to hopkins he's he's pretty much vowing his revenge it doesn't work no fucking quick drama (laughs) grah he gets shot bam he gets like gut shot he's not dying right away they're gonna accuse him of of being a royalist sympathizer and that's how that's his charge yeah but you're right he's not completely dead but he's fucked up he's incapacitated they take uh richard and sarah up to this tower and along the way that's where richard his boys they find out that he and sarah have been drawn up to the tower right? well because yeah they're they're like oh shit something went wrong where's our boy and then they run into dying guy who whispers in their ears so they start heading to the tower and at the tower the they're all strung up Stearns is conducting his quote-unquote interrogation of sarah which is he's looking for the devil's mark on her he starts jabbing her with those little pokers as this is happening richard's comrades they eventually breach the tower there's a guy like i guess a guard who it is funny because when hopkins and Stearns goes by they're just like you know we're here with the magistrate he's like oh okay go ahead Mm -hmm. 
But once they show up, he's like, you, you know, you got papers? You got all this? You got all that? You're like, yeah, we'll be right back. You're right. And they wind up knocking him out. They go back down, and then they have that little encounter with another guy coming up. And all this doesn't play out the way I thought it would either. Because no. they start making a commotion, which kind of distracts Stern for a second. But fucking Richard just goes Hulk and busts out of his chains. Yeah, for whatever reason, Hopkins told Stearns to unshackle him. Oh, that's right, yeah. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. But as soon as the commotion happens, he... What, he he gives him the fucking boot to the face, right? Yeah. And it, like, knocks his fucking he, eye out or he something? He has, like, I, I would imagine, like, spurs maybe on the back of his boots. That was what I was thinking, because the way he stomps on him, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know which part of the boot, unless he has a big-ass heel on his boot, would stomp his eye like that, unless he had a spur, maybe. And then he turns and grabs an axe yeah. and starts going axe crazy he on Hopkins' ass. beating the shit out of Hopkins. Here's something that's pretty interesting about this. Well, scene. it's not a full axe, either. It's like a little hand hatchet. Yeah. That scene, Michael Reeves... Uh-huh. was telling Ogilvy to wail on Vincent Price. Oh. You know, because that mm-hmm. was like his way of, you know, I, I don't like you. Yeah. But I can't remember if it was the cinematographer. Somebody in the film that was part of the cast put some padding on Vincent Price because they knew that was the intention. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you watch the scene, you can see there's like some padding. But Vincent Price looks, he looks so, he looks so out of it. During that scene, because Ogilvy does put it on him. But he's not quite like, he's just kind of going to town and not really paying attention yeah, to what he's doing. And his boys come And in his boys that. show up, and one of them puts a mercy round into Hopkins. Oh, man. And when that happens, that makes Marshall snap. And he repeatedly, I think he does it like four times. You took him from me. You took him from me. He loses his shit. And Sarah, right, because she's was getting tortured and has witnessed all of this mayhem, she starts screaming maniacally. Like, she's lost her shit now. So I'm thinking toward this part of the film, he's kind of portraying the fact that they've lost their their mental capacity at this point, right? They both snapped. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the film... That's how it ends. That's it. She screams. And well, then let's say, may God have mercy on us all. That's when Sarah screams. And yeah, there's an outro music and credits. And that's your film with uh, a mercy kill of Vincent Method Price. Hopkins, Vincent Price. I enjoyed it a lot. Actually. I like this film because it's it's a very dark film. The first time I was watching it, I have to be honest, I was I was a little sleepy. And I got maybe like 45 minutes into it. And there were parts of it where I was kind of nodding in and out. Not because of the film. It was just the fact that I was tired. And I probably shouldn't have been watching it at that time. Mm-hmm. But when I finally gave it a proper view, there were parts of it where I was pausing and taking my notes. I was like, ooh, can't wait to see what's happening next. You know? Now, I do know some of the things from the earlier drafts. I want to point out just because we finished this movie. Is that there was supposed to be an, actually an entire battle scene. Uh, where like somebody's head would have got cut off on screen. That's one of the things that you know they had to tone down. So yep, it didn't make exactly. it to the final draft the ending was supposed to in, like involve a whole group of gypsies yeah there's a gypsy ending you're right <laughs> um something happens and richard convinces the gypsies to help him ambush hopkins mm-hmm. at which point he'd like put him on trial and get him to confess yeah and like, uh, do, like do the drowning with his thumbs tied to his, to feet, his feet yeah uh, that's pretty gnarly, only yeah. to hang him after that something like that so yeah it was supposed to be like a whole just uh, want to, to turn it back around on him yeah. but i thought that was pretty interesting too uh, you and i had made mention of this too because i've heard variations of the story between the exchange of reeves and vincent price and due to the fact that there was tension on the set because uh, Michael Reeves did not want Vincent Price as his, his main actor for that part. He wanted He's like, yeah, I, would, uh, I didn't want you. I'm stuck with you. Something like that. Yeah. And so Vincent Price made a remark to Michael Reeves, right? They got into an argument on set and he's like, look, 
I've been in 87 films. I think he, yeah, I saw 70, but yeah. yeah. And you know, I've seen 84, 70. Mm-hmm. So there's a variation in the number. But the point was, is that Vincent Price did all these films. He's like, what have you done? And Michael Reeves was like, I've done three good ones. Yep. Right? <laughs> I guess at that point, Vincent Price and the rest of the crew, you know, they got a good chuckle out of it and it kind of eased some of the tension. For the rest of the filming i thought that was kind of a funny remark you yeah, know because there was some tension on set and it was visibly sh- you know shown in certain sequences and what vincent price though to his credit he called this one of his best performances possibly ever yeah and one of the things we had mentioned was that he his performance gets called campy at times yeah. and he he, he intentionally to tried role. to do this more seriously more subtle yeah i'm not sure how much it comes through he he's doesn't. honestly not on screen all that not much a lot. not a lot like i said it's he, like 17 minutes before he gets any more than like a line that's a good point there are a lot of scenes with ian ogilvy's his character and uh even robert russell playing a stearns you know there's yeah a robert russell him. gets a lot of screen um, time some Ogilvy's, you know i mean there's you would imagine with vincent price being the headliner you would see more of him but you're right there i mean he's not that he's limited but he does have a limited capacity some of those soldiers got so much screen time that I was very, very surprised that they did not have more detailed names in the credits. Yeah, no, like I said, there was a few guys, I think, at the end of... I was kind of curious as to, to who some of them were, and as I was going yeah. through it, it was almost impossible to pick out. And like, like, so I think most of these people were involved with some of other Michael Reeves productions and mm-hmm. films and whatnot, so a lot of those film credits you won't probably find in there, but uh, yeah, like I said, I thought it was a, a really good film, like I said, for that time period. I, I did enjoy it, man. I mean, I'm glad we got to review it. As far as an introduction to a Vincent Price film, I think it's a very interesting one, without a doubt, and an entertaining one at that. I think the next time we do Price is going to be a little bit more classic-type yeah, Price, yeah, yeah. comparatively. But I like the way that we got into it from this angle. We haven't been traditional. I mean, there's moments that we are, but there's moments where we kind of... Oh, no, we were hitting angle. it from the back. Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes you got to do reach-arounds, and there's all kinds of variations. That's right. Uh, and speaking with continuing on, I suppose let, let's definitely let them in on what's going on next episode yeah so to get prepared because it's it's another kind of it's another experiment last episode red state tusk was our first double header it was but it was a double header that also had a guest in here so it was kind of weird and big and different all around yeah so that one was a lot of information i was really happy with that episode it was really cool how we introduced two films by the same director this episode's going to be different yeah. it's going to be our first double header as just us two-headed giant yeah and it's not based around one actor and one director it's instead kind of themed in the past couple years we've had two movies get released that we've hit uh, let me back this up a little bit more already at this point in our podcast we've touched on the themes of of social horror in a couple big bad ways Uh, i think savage land for sure yeah that one was definitely huge social horror aspect with red state definitely also a social horror aspect Uh, i'm trying to think if we did i mean you could think of like cannibal holocaust if you want to go into that yeah i mean definitely cannibal holocaust as well as a social horror exploitation exploitation and such yeah and in keeping with that theme and the fact that we've had two social horror movies come out recently dealing with race we wanted to kind of hit them both at the same time so we're going to double header green room and get out both of those films like so they deal with these certain themes that we're going to talk about in our next episode 
and they're more recent. So it just kind of shows you the impact that, that it still has in society and the entertainment industry as a whole. So And it might be smart for us to do this as a doubleheader and get them both out of the way at the same time, because I don't think either of us are, you know, like professors of race relations <laughs> no, so we can say what we're gonna say and get out <laughs> yeah i mean we'll, we'll exactly we'll just let let you know how we feel about these these topics but take us with a grain of salt we can make this a green room and then we can get out exactly ah, ah, i thought it and bowie <laughs> i like it but yeah i'm looking forward to our, our first double feature as far as a uh, a joint unit as opposed to a, a threesome which i'm not opposed to but there's a time and a place for those things that's right and like we said we will have another mini sode coming out yeah uh, and i'm not that's gonna be fun that's gonna be fun it yeah it will definitely be after this next one yeah but depending on like editing schedule and stuff it might actually be before the next one not the the one after that i'm yeah. not sure well i guess we i'm not sure yet we'll, we'll figure it out yeah. however however it works out so in order for us to do that in order for us to give you a heads up on these bits of information you can follow us on twitter at fried squirms yeah at fried squirms we're still there soundcloud is a good way to listen to us fried squirms fried squirms on soundcloud fried squirms iTunes. on itunes on stitcher stitcher google play Google Play, yep. Um, uh, tuned in. Tuned in. I've never heard of anybody actually using tuned in, and I'm not intending that as a slight to tuned no, in. No, I understand. But goddammit, we're on there. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for us on there, we are on there. We are still available for emails uh, at our email yeah, Email address. us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, we tend to update our Facebook from time to time. Yeah, we're still fried squirms. And you can find us, yeah, fried squirms at fscast, I think is also something having to do with our fucking facebook i don't know yeah so i mean there, there are various ways for our audience we're trying to, to use out. all these things these things more and more yeah like so. so we're still new but we're we're getting a grasp on things you know but with that being said i'm glad that we did this episode i'm looking forward to our following episodes especially this one coming up yeah we have the next few planned um god where are we going after the next one are uh, we going old school we're again we're going old school again and then we're going to go with something a little bit on the light side possibly okay that's right that's right i'm, I'm kind of remembering now yeah i was trying to remember this earlier we talked about it last time yeah man so we've got some some killer things coming up and uh and a cool little mini episode so yeah uh and that mini episode won't take the place of our normal recording no that's no. going to be just a bonus yeah, this is de- that'll definitely be a bonus. But well, we're not telling you in yeah, we're not telling you in advance like oh, we're already planning to fuck up and just give you fifteen minutes. No, no this is I, no, no, no. That's, that's completely different. No, 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 no. The, this one is like no, we're giving you a bonus fifteen minutes about something else. Yeah, so. but you know because we're kind and we're courteous, we do still like to keep our audience in tune with us. You know. Mm-hmm. And that being said, I think though this is the end of this episode yeah so for our 26th episode i'm still danny i'm tyler this has been fried squirms coming at you from missoula montana yeah zoo town peace peace